We are moving into the second session this afternoon, and I'm pleased to uh, introduce our speaker, Dr. Uh, Frida Ludwig. is a professor of history and world Christianity and mission studies, the history of world Christianity and mission studies at the uh, Fachhochschule for Intercultural Theology in Hermannsburg or FIT, to avoid my mispronunciation of the German word. <laughs> words. Uh, he taught in Munich, Beirut, Göttinger, Göttingen, uh, Jos, Nigeria, and St. Paul, Minnesota. His research interests include the history of Christianity in Africa, Asia, and, and Europe, intercultural theology and missiology, Christianity, Islam, and traditional religions in Africa, and religion and migration. Some of his publications uh, are well known, like The Church and State in Tanzania, uh, European Traditions in the Study of Religion in Africa, co-edited with, with uh, Professor Adogami. And uh, I think the best known is The History of Christianity in Asia, Africa, and Latin America, uh, 1450 to 1990, a very uh, used resource. He also co-edited and uh, which is available in German, English, and Spanish that I know. Uh, some of his articles include the uh, one that appeared in 1999 in the Journal of, American, of the American Academy of Religion, Christian-Muslim Relations in Northern Nigeria, since the introduction of the Sharia law, Sharia in 1999. And uh, a very recent one is also in English is football, culture and religion, varieties of interaction, in studies in world Christianity uh, in 2015. So we are very pleased to have him speaking this afternoon on the perceptions of Martin Luther in Africa, aspects of a complex heritage. Let's welcome Professor Ludwig. Yeah, thank you for this very nice uh, introduction, very kind introduction, and thank you for inviting me here to Princeton. It's a, as uh, Professor Daniels, I also want to start with a kind of uh, disclaimer. My topic is very huge. It includes many different dimensions. You can talk about so many aspects of it and go into scholarly work. In all aspects, I'm trying to summarize. I can only highlight a few aspects. In his third sermon on the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew in 1539, Luther pointed out that the Gospel has been in Egypt, in Greece, in Italy, in Spain, in France, and in other lands. Now it is in the German lands, but who knows for how long. With this rhetorical question, the Wittenberg reformer reminded his congregation that the Christian faith is not the possession of a certain people or country, but it is the need of constant renewal and proclamation. In order to analyze the situation in Germany, we just have heard that Luther often contrasted the situation in Germany with uh, Christianity in Ethiopia and uh, other parts of the world. The observation that the center of gravity of Christianity is shifting is of surprising relevance. In 2000, Andrew Waltz noted that the spread of Christianity was char characterized by migration, 
the emergence of new, but also the loss of former senders. The most important theological insight is that nobody can claim the faith permanently as a possession. In the next Christendom, Philip Jenkins noted that Christianity will experience a global boom in the 21st century, but the vast majority of the believers would no longer be white or European. What is interesting here is uh, the African pillar, which is in yellow. There were around 9 million African Christians in 1900, but then they raised to 330 million in 2000, and there will be 650 million uh, in 2025. So Africa will compete with Latin America, if you like this number games on the title with the most Christian continent. Although the Lutheran churches in Africa and Asia have grown rapidly in recent decades, the Lutherans remain one of the few denominations with a still distinct Western majority. In 2003, there were 18.25 uh, million African, Asian, and Latin American Lutherans versus 45.5 million from Europe and North America, almost exactly two and a half times. And while Lutherans in Europe still made up almost 7% of all church members, the correlation in Africa is 3.05%. It is symptomatic, and uh, Afe referred to this yesterday, that Alan Anderson's book, African Reformation, does not deal with the Lutheran churches, but with the Pentecostal and Charismatic churches. Let us take a look at the distribution of Lutherans in Africa. The map published uh, by Wikipedia in 2013 is uh, somewhat helpful, but also somewhat uh, misleading because it's based on absolute numbers and not on the proportion of Lutherans in the country. You can see this if you look at India, uh, which is uh, uh, colored in the same blue as Namibia, but of course in India uh, the Lutherans are a very, very small uh, minority. In Namibia, in contrast, it's 50% of the population. Ethiopia, we do not find on this map uh, at all, which is uh, surprising, but it's presumably uh, because the Mekane Jesus Church does not carry the name Lutheran uh, in its uh, name. However, under Article 2 of the Constitution, they are committed to the Confessio Augustana and the Lutheran Catechisms. So uh, other African countries with a higher proportion of Lutherans are Tanzania, South Africa, Madagascar, Eritrea, Cameroon, Nigeria, Kenya. The Context and the shaping of the Lutheran churches in Africa are, of course, uh, very uh, diverse. And, um, well, the umbrella organization is uh, the All-African Lutheran uh, Conference and later LWF in Africa. They had a number of uh, conferences which are summarized in this book, Journeying Together. You can download it from the internet and they give an uh, overview of it. The uh, contexts uh, and the shapings of the Lutheran churches in Africa are, of course, very diverse. And the perception of Luther extends beyond the Lutheran churches. 
This is uh, indicated by the history of a small steam locomotive which was brought to the Namibian desert in 1896 to replace the team of oxen. However, the steam locomotive was not useful at all uh, as it was used, uh, used a lot of water and finally got stuck in the sand. <laughs> the locomotive uh, therefore got the name Martin Luther. Here I stand, I can do no other. <laughs> Our Lutheran uh, relics in Africa are the Liberian gold coin, the smallest gold coin of the world, and the stamps of the Central African Republic. The series shows Luther, the reformer in Wittenberg, Luther translating the Bible at the Wartburg, Luther burning the papal bull of excommunication uh, in 1520, and Luther and his wife, Katharina of, uh, von Bora, they married in 1525. Thus, the Central African Republic uh, stamp series refers not to one, but to four key dates of the Reformation. And there is indeed a discussion whether the year 1517 is the right year to commemorate. This discussion is linked to the other questions of which Luther to be celebrate, whose Luther to be celebrate. What are Lutheran legacies, Lutheran impacts? Is there any reason to celebrate at all? Come now to my next point, Luther perceptions outside Africa. Here I'm even more rough than on uh, Luther perceptions in Africa. You may know much more, but I have to start this way. Uh, so it's uh, important to look at Luther perceptions outside Africa and to summarize them, as I said, very roughly, many of you know much more about this. In the last year, the so-called Reformation decade, there have been many events in Germany. For instance, the exhibition in the German Historical Museum in Berlin. The exhibition aims to illustrate the global diversity, the effective history of Protestantism, but also its potential for engendering conflict between different cultures. The exhibition, The Luther Effect, tells a global story of effect and counter-effect that begins around 1500 and continues on into the present. This is depicted using the examples of Germany and Europe from 1450 to 1600, from Sweden, North America, Korea, and present-day Tanzania. It is my pleasure to hand over a copy of this catalog to Professor Adokame today. Our events and publications focused on different perceptions of Luther, on the different images people had in Germany throughout the centuries. As indicated by the stem series, there are different starting points. Whether Luther actually nailed the feces to the door at the castle church in Wittenberg or merely sent them by letter is the subject of research today. But the event of 1517 is actually not the historically important date. Much more significant is the appearance of, and we heard that yesterday evening of Martin uh, Luther in uh, Worms with his statement, which can be summarized here as the end, I can do no other. 
Luther was at the height of his fame five years earlier. In 1517, he was not well known. It was not until 1518 that the Reformation movement really got going. And yet, 100 years later, in 1617, officially Luther's theses were celebrated. The celebrations marked the beginning of the 31st of October for the Reformation Day. Decisive effects uh, were, uh, decisive factors were educational political interests of the 17th century. The university town of Wittenberg wanted to promote its university and to commemorate its most famous professor. Wittenberg wanted to secure a place before Worms. However, between Wittenberg and Worms, there was Heidelberg, where a disputation took place at the meeting of the Augustinian order in April 1518. Some scholars say that this meeting has been much more significant than the 95 Theses. One of the key statements of Luther in Heidelberg is, he deserves to be called a theologian, however, who comprehends the visible and manifest things of God seen through suffering and the cross. But it was the here I stand tradition which influenced Lutheran orthodoxy and which could be used for all sorts of confessional statements against Catholicism, against ecumenical endeavors, against political ideologies, and also against secularism. However, there's also the image of uh, Martin Luther in continuity to former reform movements. The swan symbolizes the link to Jan Hus, the Czech reformer, who was killed in the pyre at the Council of Constance in 1415. Before he was killed, he's reported to have said, now you kill me, a goose, goose means a goose, but in 100 years a beautiful swan will come. And that was interpreted then by Martin uh, Luther uh, to, uh, that he was, was this one. And uh, the uh, Lutheran uh, book, or hymn book of Guyana has this one as a logo. Very important then uh, was uh, the image of Luther as a translator, as an ingenious interpreter of the Bible, whose hermeneutics had paved the way for a new understanding of the scriptures. This perspective was important for pietists who also discovered, or maybe even invented, Luther as a teacher of Christian morality, of a Christian lifestyle, as a family man. This image is now revived, as you can see, uh, during this year of uh, the Reformation Jubilee. The Playmobil figure, which represents Luther, has been sold over a million uh, times uh, and is uh, the most popular image, uh, the most popular uh, Playmobil figure uh, which uh, they ever sold in the history of the company. However, uh, the... Uh, uh, translation can also be regarded as a way of indigenization, if you want to put it uh, that way. And uh, for me, it's always important to show that indigenization is not something which only goes in the direction of Africa, Latin America, or Asia, but it also happens in uh, Germany and other contexts. 
Luther's translation was not the first translation of the Bible into German, but it was uh, the one which could be understood by everybody, by peasants as well as by townspeople, by professors as well as by farmers, by South Germans as well as by North Germans. Luther longed to express the original Hebrew in the best possible German, but the task was not without its difficulties. We are now sweating over a German translation of the prophets he wrote. Oh God, what a hard and difficult task it is to force these writers quite against their will to speak German. They have no desire to give up their native Hebrew in order to imitate our barbaric German. This is through one where to force a nightingale to imitate a cuckoo to give up his own glorious melody for a monotonous song he must certainly hate. He adapted the words to the capacity of the Germans, often at the expense of accuracy. He cared more for the substance than the form. He turned the Hebrew shekel into a silberling, the Greek drachma and Roman denarius into a German groschen, the quadrants into a heller, the Hebrew measures into shovel, malter, tonne, centner, and the Roman centurion into a hauptman. He substituted even undeutsch for barbarian. The translation of the Bible was uh, linked to various processes. Um, the translation of the Bible can be linked to various perceptions of Martin Luther. It also meant to put the Bible into the hands of the people so that they make the Bible their own. This could be linked again to processes of liberation, such as the Wartburg Festival in October 1817, where students protested against the reactionary tendencies of the time. They had chosen time, October 1817, and place the Wartburg to link their protest to the Reformation. The perception of Luther as a liberator later attracted some Latin American liberation theologians. It's a very complex uh, theme there again to him. Leonardo Boff, a former Franciscan of Brazil, wrote, an undeniable aura of liberty pervades his principal texts and is transformed into the yeast of liberation in the Corpus Christianorum. Another, of course, unfortunate development of the 19th century were German nationalist interpretations. A veritable flood of illustrations spilled over Germany after 1850. Luther Ligens arose, the reformer, became a German hero and patriot. In 1917, in the middle of the First World War, Luther was now considered the epitome of German defense. After 1933, Protestant belief and national hubris entered into a strange alliance. Luther became the symbol of a special German Christianity. The German Christians who were close to the Nazi regime chose the Luther song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, as their song. Lutheran antisemitism proved to be compatible with the racism of the Nazi regime. 
in the United States, theories were developed which linked fascism to the Reformation. Of course, this is far-fetched and oversimplification, but still, uh, it is also important to look at it. In 1941, William McGovern's book From Luther to Hitler was published. After the Second World War, Germany was uh, divided. There was the GDR. And at the beginning, Luther was portrayed rather negatively as bourgeois and contrasted with Thomas Münzer, the true champion of the people. In West Berlin, uh, there was a Luther, sorry, uh, in West Berlin, there was a Luther is tot, uh, Luther is uh, dead celebration in 1983. But the uh, reformer, I like uh, this uh, picture, uh, always uh, came back. So it's uh, Luther is in, Luther is out, Luther comes in again. Uh, <laughs> <that was laughs> In uh, 1989, after the GDR had uh, collapsed, he was brought back uh, to his original place again uh, in the center in East uh, Berlin. Uh, and in uh, 2002, there was a CDF opinion poll uh, about, with the question, who is the most important uh, German? And Martin Luther made it to place two uh, after uh, Konrad Adenauer. Uh, I don't know how Adenauer made it to place one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Albert Einstein was in place uh, 10. Uh, he's uh, born in Ulm, my hometown, and was for a long time here in uh, Princeton. But now uh, there's a question uh, which Luther made it to Africa? What are the Luther perceptions in Africa? And I will give a short uh, historical, a brief historical overview. Um, Peter Heiling, uh, the 17th century, was the first Lutheran missionary in Ethiopia. Had studied law and theology in Paris from 1628 to 1632, where he was influenced by Hugo Grotius. In 1634, he traveled to Ethiopia, where he became an influential minister, teacher, and doctor at the court of Emperor Facilides. He was concerned with a reform of Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity. That was very often the case uh, in the encounter between uh, Lutheran missionaries and Orthodox Christianity. The concern was to reform uh, Orthodox uh, Christianity then. In uh, West Africa, the first attempts at Lutheran mission began in the mid-17th century when Duke Jacob of Cortland, Latvia, established trade relations with the Gambia from 1651 to 1661. The company's first pastor, Gottschalk Ebeling, was probably succeeded in 1654 by Pastor Joachim Dannenfeld. Dannenfeld was commissioned to bring Africans to the true God. There are also evidences of missionary initiatives in the documents of the Brandenburg African Company founded in 1683, the bases Cross Friedrichsburg, Aquida, and uh, Takoradi in the Gold Coast, today's Ghana. There were also clergymen in the Swedish and Danish force uh, on the Gold Coast for a while. We know that Wilhelm Johann Müller discussed religious questions with Africans. Elias Hansen Swane, who was active from 1721 to 1727 
was accompanied on his return to Denmark by Christian Jakob Brodden, who is well known in African, in the history of African uh, Christianity. Uh, he, the son of an African and a Danish soldier joined the Moravians after studying theology. He worked as a missionary in Fort Christian Borgs near Accra and he married Rebecca Rodden from the Caribbean. It's a fascinating story of the Black Atlantic world which we have here. In South Africa in 1652, Cape Town was founded by the Dutch as a stopover for the sea route to India. Here also the first two Danish Halle missionaries, Bartholomeus Ziegenbalg and Heinrich Blütschau, uh, stopped and uh, they sent reports on the situation in South Africa to the directory of the Dutch East India Company, who then turned to the Moravian Church, the other major pietist uh, organization in Germany, uh, and um, they uh, sent Georg Schmidt, who had experienced the spiritual revival with the followers of Zinzendorf. He arrived in South Africa in 1737. There, he established several uh, small congregations, the so-called Hottentot Koikoi uh, Kibodo is one uh, of the so-called first fruits in the painting of Johann Valentin Haidt from 1747. We saw this same painting in the presentation yesterday. Um, at this time, Georg Schmidt had already left the Cape Colony uh, because he had baptized people and that was not liked uh, because he baptized them as Moravians and uh, the uh, Dutch Reformed Church was in control. So uh, he had to leave. Uh, but what happened was uh, that the work uh, in South Africa was continued by Wetke Tikui Kosa. She had been baptized in 1742 and had received the name Magdalena. She continued to hold Bible lessons and prayer meetings under the tree that Schmidt had planted. When in 1792, that is almost 50 years later, missionaries arrived again, they found her sitting under the tree and holding Bible lessons. The first Lutheran minister, Andrew Lutheris Kölver arrived in 1780 at the Cape in South Africa. Services were held in Dutch. In the 19th century, in 1829, the Rhenish Mission Society started to work there. Also Lutherans, such as Christian Wallmann, played a role in that society. But in the Cape congregations, the Reformed Confession dominated in the church established by the Rhenish Mission in Southwest Africa, especially through the influence of Hugo Hahn, the Lutheran Convention prevailed. The Berlin Mission, which was active in South Africa from 1834, was Lutheran. This is even more true for the Hermannsburger Mission, which began to work in Natal in 1854 under the Zulu and Zwerner. As early as 1835, American missionaries had worked in the Zulu region, followed in 1879 by the Swedish church mission. Again, African evangelists and missionaries were important, 
Paulina Tlamini was called the apostle of Zululand. She also confronted whites when they were wrong. Another area with a strong Lutheran presence is East Africa during the German colonial rule since 1884 and then 1891. Numerous mission societies took up their work, partly as in the case of the German East African Mission Society with colonial chauvinistic tendencies. They divided the territory. There was this committee principle. So Berlin and the Moravian missionaries worked on the north shore of Lake Malawi with the Mpaka River forming the borderline. The Leipzig mission with Bruno Gutmann focused on the Kilimanjaro region and the northwest, the Swedish Lutheran influence prevailed. Educational work was important at the time of independence of uh, Tanzania in 1961. Two thirds of all schools were mission schools. Translation was uh, foundational. Uh, today, the small catechism has been translated into more than 140 languages. And there is a collection of catechisms at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. According to the introduction, only the Bible can claim a higher number of translations. Some catechisms were printed as school books with catechism material in one section and ABCs and numbers in another. Others combine the uh, catechism and hymnals into one book. Lutheran hymns were introduced by Western missionaries and German hymns were especially important. Mbieni Pwana is the official hymn book of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in uh, Tanzania. Similar to many other hymn books in Africa, it contains only 15% Tanzanian melodies. By contrast, 60% are German, and the remaining 25% are from British, American, and Scandinavian sources. One of the problems in this music is uh, that the translation process is that the accents of the Swahili words do not fit the accents of the foreign tunes. So the result is that although the texts have correct grammar and meaning, the music itself emphasizes the wrong syllables. Thus, these hymns could be seen as foreign elements, as a typical Western colonial relict there. But when we did research in Minnesota among African congregations, we were surprised to say, well, this is uh, to see that they say, this is our music, it's uh, the music we sing at home. So there's this uh, process of uh, adaptation. By far, uh, the most well-known hymn, of course, is A Mighty Fortress is uh, our God. But of course, there's also a translation problem how do we translate fortress into contexts uh, where there are no fortresses? <laughs> uh, uh, for this, uh, the translator has to do his work with some liberty, as uh, Martin uh, Luther did it. In Zimbabwe, according to Kenneth Tata, the fortress is a mountain. A mighty mountain is our God. 
Now this song seems to be uh, received especially well in contexts uh, where there is a kind of confrontation, a confrontation maybe with uh, Islam, a, con a confrontation with traditional religion, a confrontation with uh, Catholicism or with the Orthodox Church. And that is where it is particularly popular. So in Ethiopia, among the Mekane Jesu Church, also in uh, Ghana. Difficult is also, of course, uh, the uh, translation of uh, bread um, and uh, our uh, daily bread, uh, but then also bread of life. For us in Germany, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we have uh, uh, Abendbrot uh, and bread uh, every time uh, during uh, the day. It's our staple food. Uh, but uh, in uh, South Africa, there's another uh, staple uh, food, uh, pub. Uh, in East Africa, bread in the European sense, as a loaf, was unknown before the colonial era. Therefore, there were two different translations. The Italian Catholics translated the Greek artos with mkate, which uh, originally meant a slice or a cut piece. The German Lutherans translated bread with risiki, which means need, livelihood. They referred to the small catechism. Luther understood daily bread as everything that is necessary for life. In addition to food and drinking, he referred to clothing, shelter, good friends and neighbors, good government, good weather, peace and health. Daily bread reaches into uh, spheres of uh, politics, into interpersonal, ecological and medical areas. Thus, Bible translators had to make important decisions. Another instance is uh, the Jacob Speed's work in Togo. After his arrival in 8080, he translated the Bible with African colleagues and had the ambition of uh, being to uh, the Ewe people now, what Martin Luther then was to the Germans. He also published books on the Ewe religion. The word for pastor was translated with Osofo. This word was originally used to characterize a traditional priest. So uh, recently, African scholars pointed out that the African pastors made use of the title Osofo in a rather traditional way to enhance their status and position in the new Christian congregation and in society at large. An example is Albert Binder. It's of course a name which sounds quite German, but he was African, a former slave, and he took over this name from his German benefactor. He was recognized as Osofo in 1893. Binder was accepted as a strong authority in the village of Tove. People asked him to interpret their dreams he also acted in uh, uh, court of justice sessions and to judge criminal offenders. In that role, he was backed by the German colonial authority uh, and administration. Thus, the status of African pastors was uh, strengthened and uh, the translation process also reflects the interaction of patriarchal structures within uh, German society and uh, African societies. And I think this uh, picture on the right hand shows this uh, very nicely. 
the uh, growing uh, significance of episcopacy is more complicated. Not all Lutheran missionaries were happy with this high church tendencies, but can also link to translation processes. The topic was first discussed during the 1955 All-African Lutheran Conference in Marangu. The Chaka chief Mariale pointed out that the title uh, carries more weight than superintendent. Indeed, the Swahili title Askofu or Baba Askofu expresses more respect than the rather simple title Reis, which can be translated as superintendent. The Episcopal order also relates to traditional structures. A former bishop, Rastokweka of the Northern Diocese, explained the bishop in the eyes of his people is almost equivalent to the chief in a type of a clan. Of course, I mean, the interaction process is uh, complicated. Uh, the bishop is very high up in the Lutheran church. Members of a congregation, sometimes in Tanzania, they come and say, Shikamo, Baba Askofu, I kiss your feet, Father Bishop. That's not quite in line with uh, our Lutheran interpretations today. As already indicated by the question of uh, translating the title pastor, many Lutheran missionaries had a rather conservative view of uh, African societies. In German Lutheran uh, missions, uh, the position of Bruno Gutmann was very influential. Gutmann, who worked in the central Kilimanjaro region in present-day Tanzania from 1903 to 1939, only in the years after the First World War, he could not work from 1920 to 1925. He wanted to preserve the structure of traditional Chaga societies. That became important for Lutheranism, for German Lutheranism in Africa. He found their way of life and traditions human and even God-given. For Goodman, the task of the mission was therefore to carefully let the biblical message penetrate into traditional cultures without overturning traditional values. Goodman was convinced that the three basic elements that he found in the social order of the Chagas such as the clan, the age groups, and the neighborhood relationships, could also be transferred to the church structures. Goodman regarded influences of uh, English culture, of German culture, but also of Swahili culture as uh, dangerous. He forbade uh, his uh, Christians to speak Kiswahili in his presence. He said, you have to speak your tribal language, not Kiswahili, which was a kind of lingua franca. Um, and, of course, this concept uh, stood in marked contrast to other missionary projects, which saw a close connection between Christianity and Western civilization, and Goodman was aware of this difference. In fact, he regarded the idea of Volksmission, of folk mission, as a particular German contribution, who, as he wrote, had a particular sensitivity for the Africans and uh, they know much more about uh, these unseen powers which are felt in human relations. Therefore, a special responsibility in his view was given to the Germans because they could do much more than the Anglo-Saxon ever could do. The 
assumption now uh, that the Germans had a particular sensitivity uh, for uh, African culture, ignored uh, the atrocities which had happened uh, in uh, uh, Southwest Africa, and then also in uh, Tanzania. You know, uh, German colonial troops committed atrocities and decimated uh, the population in uh, what was uh, German Southwest Africa to one third. Uh, the idea of an order of creation given by God was considered to be specific to German Lutheran missions. It's true that on the one hand, that could help uh, towards indigenization efforts, but on the other hand, also contributed to the legitimization of um, uh, racist structures. This becomes clear for example, in the special vote of the German delegates at the World Missionary Conference in Tambaram in 1938, in which they listed among the orders of creation also the races with their various natural gifts. In order, in addition to the theology of the order of creation, the two kingdoms doctrine, or a particular interpretation of the two kingdoms doctrine, became influential in Lutheran attitudes towards politics and uh, society in Africa. This specific Lutheran traditions were sometimes used by scrupulous politicians in Southern Africa. When in 1971, the International Court of Justice pointed out that South Africa's rule over Namibia was a violation of international law and South Africa should withdraw immediately. The South Africans turned to the Namibian Lutherans, reckoning that this pious church people would refer to Romans 13 and say that the South Africans were the authorities appointed by God. There were also other references to the Reformation to justify apartheid. The South African Minister for Native Affairs, he became later Prime Minister, Dr. Farward, formulated it as follows, we are standing like a looter at the time of the Reformation back against the wall. Never in history, at least not in the history of the past 2,000 years, was the position of whitedom in danger to such an extent as it is now. An independent South African church inversely referred to Luther as the source of racism. However, also the African Lutheran reactions were not as the government had expected or hoped. In Namibia, church leader Bishop Leonard Arola and moderator Petrus Kovacep wrote an open letter in which they quoted the violations of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights section by section. Our people are not free. And by the way, they are treated, they do not feel safe, they wrote. They concluded with this with a call for independence. When a printing press was destroyed twice by bomb attacks, an artist, a Lutheran artist, uh, 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 painted uh, this uh, illustration uh, and uh, this artwork also contributed to the fight against racism. In Umpumulo, the Lutheran Seminary in South Africa, 
efforts were made to reinterpret the uh, two kingdom doctrine. In 1967, a memorandum stated that, uh, provided it is interpreted in accordance with Luther's original intention, it would prove to be an appropriate starting point for analyzing the South African situation and help to relate that situation to the word of God. Reflecting on the two kingdom doctrine, the statement rejected apartheid and the politics of separate development. Black African Lutherans contributed to that statement and drew attention to the suffering of black people in South Africa. The Black African Lutheran Churches also pushed the Lutheran World Federation in 1977 to declare a status confessionis concerning apartheid, thus setting the stage for suspension, not expulsion, of two white South African churches at the next assembly meeting in Budapest in 1984. Significant in itself, this process reflected changing engagement with social and ethical issues in the LWF, as in other Christian bodies, and brought to prominence leaders like Bishop Manas Butelesi from South Africa and Bishop Sefania Kameda from what would become Namibia. At the same LWF meeting in Dar es Salaam, the Tanzanian Josiah Kibira was the first African to be elected president of the Lutheran World Federation, a position he had up to 1984. Kibira had become well-known by his key keynote speech at the All-African Conference of Churches General Assembly in Addis Abeba. And before he had applied the Lutheran hermeneutics of Simul Justus et Peccator to missionaries and said they were also sinners. Slowly but surely, the attitude uh, to African independent or African initiate, initiated churches changed. At the first All-African Lutheran Conference in Marangu, Tanganyika in 1955, the African independent or initiated churches were still treated under the topic, the sect problem of Africa. It was suggested that Luther's small catechism and the Confessio Augustana in Variata be supplemented with a Confessio Africana to present the Lutheran teachings in a manner understandable to modern Africans and thus to be able to react to the African independent churches and other challenges. In another session, African theologians such as Stefano Moshi from Tanganyika raised the question of a reassessment of faith healing. Their overall vote was also rather skeptical. But at the Lutheran Theological College at Umpumulo in Natal, South Africa, there were again remarkable developments in the discovery of this Lutheran freedom. As early as 1967, there was a consultation on healing, and since the early 1970s, the leaders of African independent churches were invited as partners in this conversation. This experiment was certainly not unproblematic, stated one of the participating Western lecturers, when a black theology was developed and lived. But it did not only change the ways of teaching and learning, but also enriched it. The loose speeches of the sects ceased. The governing bodies of African independent churches were there and talked peacefully over a cup of tea and took an active part in the conferences. 
The dialogue with the African independent churches was also uh, important because uh, there were also African independent Lutheran churches, such as the Lutheran Papeti Church. I thought the Lutheran Papeti Church had split off from the Berlin mission. It wanted to stay with the Lutheran doctrine. The leaders of the new church explained to the surprised missionaries that uh, the mission had given Peti Lutheranism in its own language, and they now refused to acknowledge the acceptance of Christianity by the Peti people. As Kirsten Rüther has shown, the theological argument of the new church went even further. The Christians in Popedi needed churches like the Christians in Germany. Dr. Luther had given the Germans their own church, but in Popedi, the Christians were treated like the dogs of the Germans. When they were charged not to ordain their helpers, they provocatively asked, who has given Martin Luther the right to ordain? Other African Christians, too, referred to the history of succession since the Reformation. Afi has referred yesterday to David Barrett's uh, book. There are many other important strands in uh, Luther perceptions in Africa, but um, the one I wanted to point out uh, is the last one is uh, the theology of uh, the cross which is discovered by many African theologians today. With that, I want to conclude. Thank you very much. <laughs>